Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. It is Wednesday. We like to call this Get Over the Hump Day. And we have a lot of information to share with you. Hopefully everything is working well on Blog Talk Radio, YouTube, uh, Facebook, and on Omega Radio. And by the way, we are looking to launch out into other platforms. If you have any great ideas for this ministry where you think we can go, uh, how far we could take it to expand in the uh, influence that we have on the airwaves, please make sure to share those ideas with us, okay? Obviously, yesterday was a sure sign that we do need some technical experts out there to help with the ministry. So if you are interested and you want to help a little bit along the way, help us to get things, we want to keep it simple, but we also want to keep it nice and tight. So that's really important to us. And again, further influence as the Lord opens the door, and we don't want to, we just don't want to miss opportunities to be on different platforms in the days that we're living in. We want to broadcast to the ends of the earth as loud and as long as we possibly can. So having said that, once again, good morning to everybody out there waiting for our friends to show up on Facebook. I think yesterday somebody thought that we were not going to be on the air today, but we most certainly are on the air we will not be on the air, most likely tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, and then we'll be back on the air Tuesday. So we'll miss everybody for the weekend as we are heading up to South Dakota. And we are looking forward to that gathering, that meeting in South Dakota. We're looking forward to meeting the saints of God, to understanding the purpose of God for our gathering together. We know that it's always good to meet up with 
fellow brothers and sisters and saints of the Lord and to reconnect with our dear friends and family. So we're excited about going. We're making preparations. We'll be heading out tomorrow morning. And once again, we are excited about doing that. So where do we spend and how do we spend these last moments today before we hurry on out? Well, I've got a lot to share with you. I uh, received a text message from Daniel Seckham today, and he is working in Australia and will not be able to join us and is saying that he is looking very much forward to getting back together. And so we are looking forward to that as well. So we're going to have open lines today. If you have questions or comments and you'd like to join us in the conversation, make sure that you do. And we're just going to launch out there right now, and we're going to begin our broadcast out of Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah chapter 28. So if you're ready to go, I'm ready to go. We will be talking about the harvest at the end of the age. We're going to talk about Revelation chapter 14, and we're going to go into some detail about that. And we begin today with Jeremiah chapter 28. And I'm reading this particular chapter in the book of Jeremiah, uh, because of the climate of where we live today. Patricia and I were simply listening to a few things, and uh, we heard about a great victory in California with Matt Staver and uh, his legal team from Liberty Council, how these, uh, this court, the Supreme Court of California, ruled in favor of the churches, right? And on the front, that sounds terrific. As a matter of fact, they made a ruling that they will never again be able to shut down houses of worship in California. Now, stay with me on this and start thinking with me, okay? So the, the Supreme Court of California ruled in favor of Harvest Rock Church, Harvest Ministries out there, and uh, that's where the lawsuit originated with Matt Staver goes to one of the churches, and the state Supreme Court sided with the church, never again will government have the right or the ability to tell the church you cannot gather, because it was up until February 5th of 2021 that there was, from March 2020 to February 2021, there were absolute restrictions on all gatherings in the law by Governor Newsom and by the court at that time. So Matt Staver, Liberty Council, they filed a lawsuit, and in California, it is now legal to gather, and the government will never again be able to say no. Now, this is going to spread from state to state. There's already another case going on in Maine, where you know, one of the most restrictive states in the United States of America. And so they're filing the, the lawsuit there as well to put an end to governmental power over the Christian church. And again, up front, that sounds marvelous. Sounds like we're really standing in the gap and really going to battle. However, headline news on the other side is that, you know, Donald Trump is now going to be criminally investigated for his, uh, his wealth, his finances, his money. And so the attorney general of New York is uh, beginning a criminal investigation into the Trump organization. And that tells us that even though President Trump is no longer the president of the United States, they still are terrified of this man. They want to hold him accountable. They want to make sure he can never run for office again, particularly in 2024. And so, you know, that's obvious. But you can see that vehement enmity uh, that continues to pour out of the belly of the beast out of the left. And you can see that happening around and about. So, you know, interpretation, what does this all mean? 
California a victory. We don't have to wear masks. Nobody could stop us from gathering in our churches again. Uh, that's going to spread possibly, potentially throughout the United States. Uh, and yet there's continual attack against Donald Trump, his organization, from the Attorney General of New York. And so when you start looking at all these things, well, we need interpretation, right? We need to understand what they are saying. Now, let me pause for just one moment, okay? Just a quick little pause to bring balance to what we're about to say. Number one, you remember the story that Jesus told, and it's not a story. He, he kind of said it very clearly. He said, look at the birds of the air. Remember, we talked about it last week. Consider the fowls of the air. Consider the birds. They neither sow, they neither reap, they neither gather into barns, and yet your father feeds them. And Jesus said, not one bird on the planet anywhere in the world falls to the ground in death that Father God is not aware of. So if God knows every bird that falls to the ground and then says of you and I that we're more important than many birds, so you, you get this understanding that God is able and willing, and Jesus told us for a reason, uh, to look at the birds and learn an example from them. And the example that we get from that is when I was watching the birds at the bird feeder this morning, they weren't worried about politics. They weren't worried about Donald Trump being criminally investigated by the Attorney General of New York. They weren't concerned about, uh, you know, the state Supreme Court in California overruling Governor Newsom's restrictive uh, methods. Uh, they just were not concerned. However, in balance, we also know that we are not to be ignorant as human beings. We are not to be ignorant of the signs of the times. And so while on the one hand, we need to be trusting God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving him and living day by day, like Jesus said, one day at a time. On the other hand, we're also supposed to be preparing, making ready, get your ark ready to go, um, you know, be aware, do not neglect to read the signs of the times. Jesus rebuked a generation, his generation. Uh, you could tell when it's going to rain, when it's not going to rain, but you can't discern the signs of the times. So we have this beautiful balance of how we are to live before God. We are not to be worried. We are not to be stressed out. We are not to be concerned. The only thing we're allowed to be concerned about, according to Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, are other saints. There we have a right to have care for and concern for the body of Christ. And so when we are concerned and we have a genuine care for other members of the body, we have every right to carry that to the Lord in prayer. Okay, so, but as far as living and worrying, no, remember the birds. On the other hand, don't be ignorant of the signs of the times. Having said that, let's go back to what's going on in the world today. We know that Israel just went to, uh, has been in battle with, uh, the, in the Gaza Strip with Hamas and all these terror organizations, and it's a show. There's no doubt about it. I think it was uh, one of our great leaders, Franklin Roosevelt, I think was the man that said it, that um, if something goes wrong in, 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 in war or anything of, of trouble, usually, you know, government has actually made it happen. Um, so, there's a show, there's theater going on around the world. We still have theater about the vaccinations. We have theater about wearing masks. We have theater about a pandemic. We have theater uh, all over the world. 
okay? And, and I've got to make this point so that you understand why I'm going to read the chapter in the book of Jeremiah that I am. Because when one stands back and looks at both sides of the coin, okay, the victory in the state of California, and yet the, 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 the other stuff going on that's negative around the world, both are factual. There's no pretension. There's no pretending. Both are factual. Well, we have a tendency, like the children of Israel, to look one way and say, ah, and then look another way. And we're going back and forth, but we really don't know. And that's when Elijah went to deal with the false prophets in the days of Baal, right, in Jezebel. So the people were literally confused. They were looking both ways. They had some opinions, but nobody really knew what to do. It's kind of like that today. And when praying about this and thinking about it and conversing with Patricia about it, Immediately, the download came from the Holy Spirit, Jeremiah chapter 28. And I want to read it with you. Jeremiah 28, verse 1. And it came to pass in the same year, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, which was of Gibeon, spoke unto me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people. So I want you to get this in your mind. I want you to think about this. Uh, Jeremiah is in prison. He's in stocks. He's in bonds, right? He's got a yoke on him of imprisonment. And it is because they didn't like what he was saying. Okay, nobody really in, in, the, in that environment wanted to hear what Jeremiah had to say, but they were more willing to listen to a Hananiah. And so here is the, uh, the, the scene where Hananiah the prophet and Jeremiah the prophet are standing together. Jeremiah's got a yoke on his shoulder from his bondage. Uh, the priests are there. All the people are there. Everybody's there. And uh, Zedekiah, the king, is there. And now comes this conversation. And Jeremiah 28.2 says, this speaks the Lord of hosts. This is Hananiah now speaking in front of all the people and in front of Jeremiah. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. All right, so Hananiah begins his conversation with, thus saith the Lord, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. All right. Verse 3, Hananiah went on to say, within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. So here we have a precise time given by Hananiah, and in today. You know, it's, we're coming 2021, you know, two years from now, there's going to be a presidential election again. And maybe the prophets today, like Han and I are saying, hey, two years from now, Trump's coming back to power and all that has been lost is coming back. America will be great again. The laws of righteousness and morality are going to be promoted again. Abortion is going to be illegal. All these bad things, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, Hollywood's going to have a, a, a leash and a collar, and a muzzle. They're not going to be able to promote their blasphemy anymore. We're going to root out all the 
People on the left were getting rid of the Jerry Nadlers. We're getting rid of the Nancy Pelosi's. We're getting rid of the Barack Obama's. We're going to put an end to all these negative things. We're going to shut up the border again. And in two full years, right now, they would say, everything is going to be all right. And that's what Hannah and I was saying. Okay. And so he has a particular date. He has a particular time. He says, thus saith the Lord, the Lord has done what? I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Well, in verse 4, he went on to say that God said, And I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So those that were once there, he's bringing back. He's going to bring it back. That's what he's saying. And uh, the king of Judah with all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So the prophecy of Hananiah to the people of Israel, to the king and all the people and the priests, and before Jeremiah the prophet, who was in prison in bondage, was that God has broken the yoke. Two years from now, it's all coming back, and everything's going to be great. And I'm going to bring restoration. I'm bringing all these people back that were there. They went into captivity. Who knows? Maybe they went to jail for a couple of years or a couple of months, like we saw happen. Then in verse 5, Jeremiah 28, 5, then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah, in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord. So there now Jeremiah is speaking. Verse 6, even the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. All right, there's agreement. The Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words which thou hast prophesied, to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. So Jeremiah, his immediate response is, Amen. Let your words be true. Verse 7, Nevertheless, nevertheless, hear thou now this word that I speak in your ears and in the ears of all the people. So you say, now listen, what I'm about to tell you. Verse 8, the prophets that have been before me and before you, Hananiah, of old, prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. So Jeremiah is saying that the true prophets of God that were before him and before Hananiah, they prophesied to many nations and countries about war and evil and pestilence. And I mean, they just spoke the word of God in judgment against nations that offended God, right? And he said in 29, and this is a key, the prophet which prophesies of peace when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord has truly sent him. Well, for all the prophets today that are prophesying that when, you know, the new election comes and Donald Trump's coming back to power and America's going to be great again and Jeconiah folk are all coming back and the treasures that have been stolen and we're bringing back you know, a good economy, we're bringing back morality, we're bringing back righteousness, we're going to bring it all back, and there's going to be peace. Well, 
for those who are saying that, time is going to tell. Time is ticking away moment by moment. But the, the thought here is that Jeremiah, who is prophesying judgment and wrath against Israel for their bloody crimes against God, he's prophesying the, the, the judgment. And he's saying, well, those who are prophesying peace, when their words are fulfilled, then you know that they were sent. Now, we have to step back a few months, and there were many, many, many voices prophesying, and so-called prophets were prophesying that Donald Trump was going to win the election and that everything was going to be all right. But what has happened instead is Donald Trump did not win the election, and, and people say, well, yes, he did, but he's over here and over Listen. There's a border crisis. War has gone back with uh, the Middle East. Everything that was going on before Donald Trump is now springing forward again. There's more deception and corruption. And now let me make a point, a brief point, getting back to, well, let's, let's, let's hold on to it. Let's hold on to it. So there were a lot of people saying that Donald Trump was going to win. Now they're saying, well, in 2024, he's going to win. Well, 2024 will surely come for those of us who are alive and remaining and are looking at these things. But I want you to listen to what the prophet Jeremiah went on to say. He said in verse 10, or the the story continues in verse 10 now, then Hananiah the prophet, okay, so he was listening to Jeremiah, Jeremiah saying, oh, okay, amen to your words, but let me tell you the truth, true prophets of God have warned ungodly nations of the judgment that would hit them. You're saying there's going to be peace. In two years, the yoke is going to be broken, and we're going to find out, he says. Everybody's going to know the truth here pretty soon. And then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years, and the prophet Jeremiah went his way. So, even though we have a prophetic showdown between Hananiah and Jeremiah, uh, Hananiah spoke first, Jeremiah responded, and Hananiah, rather than listening to what Jeremiah had to say, he went further and argued. And you see a lot of that going on today. You have people on the one side saying, Trump was going to win, but he didn't win, so that must mean he's going to win in 2024. A couple of years from now, it's all going to come back. And then the Jeremiah prophets are coming and saying, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Judgment and wrath is upon this nation, and we have shed the blood of 90 million innocent babies and have perverted judgment and rebelled against God. And the idea that it's all going to come back to normal in two years, Jeremiah was saying, no, it's not. But then Hananiah says, oh, yes, it is. And that's kind of what you see today. In the prophetic community, and most saints are going, oh, is he right or is he right? Is she right or is she right? And they're back and forth. They really don't have an answer for themselves, which is unfortunate because they have the spirit of truth in them to be able to view the world through the lens of Scripture. And if you're viewing the world through the lens of Scripture, not by what men are saying, when you read the Bible and you see that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and there are patterns in scripture that can be trusted, you would never, anybody would never look at America and say that God's going to deal differently with America 
than he did with Israel or he did with Rome or any other nation in the face of the earth that committed the crimes that we have committed. And our crimes against God are greater than any other nation's crimes against God because we are accountable because we know better and we have in the face of God blasphemed him so terribly, which shows that we are part of that beast empire now we have become morphed into. And yet there are people here saying, no, 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 we got some good stuff going on and it's all going to change. Well, here's what the story ends up with. It says that in verse 12, after Jeremiah went his way, you know, in verse 12, then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, here's what God told Jeremiah to go and tell Hananiah. Go and tell Hananiah, saying, thus saith the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood, which were on his, which were on his neck and shoulders, Jeremiah's, but you shall make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar. This to me reminds me of the United Nations, the one world government, the beast empire, when all the nations of the earth are going to worship the beast. This shows me of a time in in, in type and shadow that what was being said here is that a yoke of iron is coming upon the nations of the earth in the last days during the Great Tribulation. And only the remnant will be able to navigate through the times that are coming down the pike. So here God is telling Jeremiah what's really going to happen, and they shall serve Nebuchadnezzar, and I have given him the beasts of the field also. Verse 15, then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, hear now, now listen carefully. Hear now, Hananiah, all right, all prophets that are prophesying two years from now, Trump's coming in, laws are going to change, everything's going back to normal. This is what Jeremiah would say to that prophetic community. He would say, hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will cast you from off the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. Hananiah, in verse 17, So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Okay. What were the two sins of Hananiah? Well, first of all, Hananiah made the people trust in a lie. He was persuasive. He had a following. People were more willing to listen to what Hananiah had to say because it was about recovery. It was about all things good. It was about bringing everything back. It was about prosperity. It was about peace. It was all good, and people were listening. And he was able to have them trust in a lie because he was not speaking the truth. And this is what God told Jeremiah. 
They're not telling you the truth. And then he was teaching rebellion. He was teaching rebellion against the Lord. And that word rebellion is the sara, which means he was teaching, listen, apostasy. That's what the Hebrew is in the sara. Hananiah, the false prophet, and the company of Hananiah prophets were teaching apostasy. In other words, when you deceive the people so that they believe a lie, you are creating rebellion or apostasy against the Lord. You're literally getting God's people set up to defect from the truth. It is a revolt. It is a rebellion. It is a turning aside, a defection. Okay, so this is a defection of moral or legal offenses. What was Hananiah's crime? Hananiah's crime is that he taught apostasy. And how does that work? By preaching peace and safety and recovery to a nation whose sin has been overflowing I mean, the the stench of the sin of Israel at that time was overflowing in the eyes of God. And America's cup has been overflowing with every kind of filthy, unclean, perverse reality. It's overflowing. But because there's a remnant of good left, a very small remnant of righteous good, not just good in their moral conduct, but righteous good, Hananiah's think that that's how God's judging the nation, by the few good. And it's not true. And they normally come up with the Abrahamic thing. Lord, if there are 50, will you spare it? Lord, if there's 40, will you spare it? Lord, if there's 30, 20, 10, will you spare it? Yes, if I find 10. And so the Hananiah prophets say, well, there's a lot more than 10 righteous people in America, so God will spare it. But they neglect Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14 says, even though Job and Noah and Daniel, three of the most righteous men in scripture, if they were in the city of the time of the calamity, they would only save themselves by their righteousness. They would neither save sons or daughters. So here we have a time of judgment in the book of Ezekiel that God decrees, and they were thinking the same thing. Well, wait, if, if, if there's a few righteous, won't they you know, spare the whole city? God says, no, only the righteous will be spared in the time of the calamity. So does God have a plan to take care of the righteous remnant in America and other nations around the world in the time of their collapse? Absolutely. Is it the uh, prayer? Is it the assignment of the true prophets of God to be able to declare to the people of God the truth and to make them see that God's righteous judgment is right? And that what we need to know as a righteous remnant is how to navigate through the collapse that is coming? Yes, that's all true. But the Hananiah prophets are everywhere. They are everywhere. And the people are trusting their lie. So what will happen, and only God knows, we're being told here in just a few days There's going to be another pandemic breakout. There's food shortages coming. There's chaos coming. It's all, you know, prophesied, but it's definitely manipulated by the hands of man in in many ways. And only God knows what kind of terrorism is coming. And, you know, it's about to be relived again. But something unique that President Donald J. Trump did say a few months ago, he said, by summertime, it will be a nightmare in the United States of America. 
There is a coming conflict. There is a civil war, a battle that will be fought. We saw one side of the battle in the last year with Antifa, Black Lives Matter, with the rioting, with the left, with the globalists. We saw one side of the battle where they went through this nation and they turned it upside down and inside out and burned businesses and shut things down and locked down a nation and brought chaos and confusion. You didn't see much resistance, did you? Not much at all. And the one moment when there was minor, and I talk about very minor resistance on January 6, 2021, in Washington, D.C., where a few hundred out of nearly a million people acted up with just a little bit, no cars burning, no windows broken, just people going in. Yes, they did what they did, but just a few hundred, if that, out of a million There was no real blowback against the last year, which could have been, and yet it's coming. There will be a battle. The field will be America, and the civil war will be beyond anyone's comprehension because we only saw one side, and we watched on television as the cities of America were burning, and businesses were being torn down, and people were invading and looting and stealing and doing all this garbage without resistance. Well, now the resistance is coming. It is coming from a direction most people are not aware of or what they're thinking of. There is something about to be released within our nation that is going to create what I believe President Donald J. Trump said about this summer. Now, summer begins on June 20th. We are now in May, and so there's some time here. We're talking about maybe 30-some-odd days, okay, if even that, less than that, probably 25 days until summer begins. And, and this is, these are things in motion, but you need to know that there is a set-apart military power that is going to be released onto the battlefield, and America will be that battlefield. Now, what does that mean to the righteous remnant? What does that mean to the elect of God? the rigidly righteous in our generation, in our nation, because lots is going to go on around the world. It means that you need to be led by the Holy Spirit, navigated through these times, walking cautiously, because the word of God says, uh, you know, don't live carelessly, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Don't walk foolishly, but walk wisely. And so we should not be walking in any other way than sober. We should be watching. We should be redeeming the time, knowing the days are evil. And if you're listening to the Hananiah prophets, they are teaching you lies, and they are training you in rebellion. They're getting, they're getting you ready to apostatize from God because what they're saying will be found false, and what God has been saying through his word and his true prophets will come to pass, and that's why the New Testament talks about a great apostasy, a falling away, the love of many waxing cold. And the reason why is because people have been feeding on lies. They've been feeding on deception. And because of the fear that has been brought into this world by the governments of the world, people are now afraid to speak out against anything that is wrong. They're afraid to say that homosexuality and lesbianism and transgenderism is a wicked sin that is coupled with pedophilia that is running rampant in our society. And I believe that God's going to use people that have been in these environments to raise them up, to go into those communities and help people get out. That'll be part of the harvest. Nonetheless, 
We have noted that within our governmental system, they are sweeping things under the carpet that they don't want the people to concern themselves with, i.e. the death of Jeffrey Epstein, the leader of the pedophile island in New York. They have swept under the carpet his murder in a 24-7 security maximum prison. They are exploiting one day. January 6, 2021, as the worst day in American history after a year of pure blasphemy, fires burning, insult, I mean, you name it, it was the most hideous reality, and yet they justified that as being good that the people needed to vent, but you know, they did that because of one police officer that killed one black man in Minnesota, and, 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 and that's what sparked the internal hostility and yet, the millions of people that were not on the neck of that black man are tired of being pushed around and having their businesses looted, burned down, being threatened, and all these things. So get ready for a pushback. Now, I know that nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to say anything. Everybody's supposed to be tempered, calm it down, turn down the heat, you know, just capitulate, go, because you could get in trouble for speaking the truth. Well, dear church, if you're afraid to speak the truth to save your life, then you should stop calling yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Period. There's no argument there. No argument. Peace and safety to a nation that blasphemes God every single day is an utter abomination in the nostrils of a holy God. Is that so hard to understand? Is it so difficult to peer into these things and, wow, it's so deep and mysterious, I can't figure it out? What is there to figure out? God has spoken. America has crossed the point of no return. America will never return to her former glory when she honored the Lord. Because the only glory that America ever had was its honor to God, its respect for God. It's when on television you didn't blaspheme God. It was with the different industries, the fabrics of our society were pure, purer and holy, more moral. But then we allowed the invasion to come in and pervert and twist everything into a lie? No, no, no. We are not innocent. And we are not going to have peace. There's going to come martyrdom. There's coming persecution against people that do what is right. It's not persecution and suffering against people that are twisted. No, they will be promoted. The persecution will come from those who speak the truth. However, there are enough willing vessels that are willing to stand, but they don't know where to stand because one group is saying one thing, another group is saying another thing. But I have to believe that God will raise up a voice in our generation to stand in the gap, not to save America, but to cause an awakening in the righteous remnant of God, the ecclesia, to be able to navigate, to be strong in the spirit, to not fall away, to not give up, to not give in, to not surrender, to not take the mark of the beast. 
It is a time to raise up the holy saints of God to stand. And there's a blessing in the book of Revelation that I want to get to. So if you'll turn with me to Revelation, I just want to look at chapter 15 real quick. Revelation chapter 15, then I want to go back to Revelation 14. Revelation 15, 1, which I consider to be a pause in the pangs, says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. I'm going to explain this in a moment. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, listen, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments are made manifest. Who are these people? These are the people who got the victory over the beast. That is the call to the remnant church, to all the church, the ecclesia scattered around the world in our generation. The voice of the prophets ought to be preparing the inward parts of the people of God to be able to stand and get the victory over the beast, even if it means it costs their life here on earth. But to preach peace and safety and prosperity and everything is going to be all right, in the world in which we live, in the country in which we live, is not the truth. The true ministers of the gospel should be laboring in the life of all the people to get the stain out of the soul, to wash thoroughly from all iniquity in the inward parts, to bring cleansing, transformation, to download a psychology that belongs to the Holy Spirit, to rid ourselves of a worldly, carnal mind, to learn how to take up the cross and die to self, walk in repentance, walk in faith, walk in holiness, walk, yes, even the joy of the Lord, knowing that we are honoring the King. The word of the ministers of God, their word should be like fire. They should be burning in the lives of men and women of God and burning up the chaff and purifying the gold. There should be a word of God coming, not an old second day, you know, religious, legalistic thing, but a word that comes from the throne of God by the Spirit of God in the life of God's people that will assist in the purification and the purging of their inward parts so that they might be a vessel of honor to bring forth the praises of God in a darkened generation, unafraid, unwilling to bend the knee to the powers of darkness and to stand in the gap and intercede and pray and seek God and thank God and follow God and bring everything to God and say, God, you're all in all. You're you're my reward. Cleanse my heart. Change my mind. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds with the word of God, with the intelligence of God, with the strategy of God, with the purpose of God, the wisdom of God. And God never in his word would tell you and I, the saints of God, in our generation, just relax, recline, take it easy. All's going to be okay. America's going to be great. 
Get your kids their 401s ready to go. Get them into the good universities. That's not the reality. That is a whimsical, hopeful thing. We read it last night where people would dream a dream that everything was okay, but they would wake up and it was a nightmare. Their dream became a nightmare. America, the American dream has been turned into a nightmare. And the worst of the nightmare, days away. Days. And what has God given us in our, uh, our span of time? Opportunity to prepare. Prepare our spirit, which simply means develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. How your, your spirit and my spirit are prepared is by union with Christ, talking to God, talking to Jesus, talking with the Holy Spirit, relating to them, to relating to God, relationship. And that's how the Spirit stays in communion, praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Because 1 Corinthians 14 says when we pray in the tongues that God gave, no man understandings is a direct communion to God. And it builds ourselves up in our most holy faith. It gives us wisdom, intelligence, direction. So spiritual preparation is a relationship with God in the spirit. Now, how does that help our soul? Well, when we're relating to God in truth in the spirit, now it's like the river of the Holy Spirit is washing within us our soul. That crystal clear river of life flows into every cell in our body, every emotion, every memory, every thought, every, everything that we've ever known in our soul, and it breaks bondages, it brings deliverance, it produces holiness, it produces a shining soul that the Spirit of God can shine through. And what is that soul? It's your personality. It's who you are. God does not want you to be a robot. He made you to be uniquely different from everybody else in the world, you're the only you, and yet your soul has been darkened through sin like everybody else's, but the work of God is to bring a cleansing of the soul, to let the light of Christ shine through your personality, and let your soul magnify the Lord and glorify God in praise and worship of the one true king. And then, when your soul is prospering, well, we read in the third epistle of John that may you prosper even as your soul prospers. So as your soul is prospering because your spirit is in relationship with God, now your physical body is going to come into a healing. Your physical body is going to come into health. And this is how we are to prepare. Your needs will be met. The provision, provisions necessary to prepare will be given. You will find yourself doing a number of things. When you begin to prosper in your body, that means your physical world around you, your family relationships will come into a healing. Your relationship with the body of Christ will come into a healing. There will be a divine unity. Your physical needs will be met. And you will be able to live on this earth in a physical realm, in a physical body, but with a spiritual intuitiveness, a spiritual connection that will divinely guide your life to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now, and will stand with you if persecution or martyrdom would come, tribulation and trial would come. We learn to rejoice in it and to count it all joy. This is the imperative. We look at our world today. I want to go back to Revelation 14 here in just a moment. 
so many things are going on in the world, and we're wanting to understand them. We need to be precise, very precise. It's been a journey, hasn't it? Look around the world today. Is everything okay? Is the hope of the Christian church two years from now that Donald Trump will be the president of the United States? Is that the hope? Is that the hope? Donald Trump needs to put his hope in God for his own salvation. You see, the left is beginning their, their, their forward march. And there's a lot of conversation about this man, Donald J. Trump. He needs to put his hope in God, too, just like everybody else. He's a man. He is a man. And when the church puts its hope in a man, this is idolatry. And when prophets of God teach lies to the church, they're setting them up for apostasy, disappointment, discouragement. The truth of the gospel is put your hope in God. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Get it right. It's not a morbid life in Christ. It's not dark and legalistic. You know, a lot of Christians honestly do look like they've been weaned on a pickle and baptized in lemon juice. They get that really strange look about them. That life in Christ in the last days has to be sour. No. That's not the truth. These are the greatest times on earth for the overcoming saints of God because this is where we prove that we're truly overcomers. I mean, this is where the supernatural power of God is going to manifest. The overcomers are everything. Now, I I need to say in, in a break before we get to Revelation 14, God wanted me to prophesy this to the remnants to the rigidly righteous, those who follow the Lamb and are working out their salvation with fear and trembling, who have their eyes on the King of glory, Jesus Christ, who belong to his kingdom. They don't need a man on earth, right? They belong to a spiritual kingdom. And he's telling me to tell you, told me this before coming on the air, in my spirit, tell them who have honored me and have followed me during these feasts of the Lord through Passover to Shavuot, Tell them who have honored me in my feast that I will honor them. Tell them the next four months will be months of harvest for them. Ah, what does that mean? A lot of talk about harvest going on right now. And we're going to talk a little bit about harvest as well. But what God is saying to you, and it's in his word. It's not like I picked this message God told me in the spirit. No, it's in his word and the spirit quicken the word. The next four months of your life as a true follower of Jesus Christ, who have your eyes on the king of glory, trusting in him, relating with him, all right, shining, becoming cleaner and cleaner in the soul, physical body becoming stronger and stronger, not weaker and weaker. Four months of harvest. That means the next four months of your life leading up to the Feast of Tabernacles, the next four months of your life, regardless of what happens in this world. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. To know what's going on, to not be deceived, to be entangled, 
but to keep our perspective in eternity, in Christ, in heaven, in our citizenship, in the kingdom of God, by understanding so that we don't get caught in it, but we live in the fullness of what Christ has done, we live an abundant life in this side of reality. And in the economy of God, Passover, that beginning of the year, sowed, then 50 days later, there was grain, there was first fruits coming in, and that was what they would wave before the Lord, and what it represented, the first fruits, the beginning of the sowing season back in Passover, is that a harvest was coming. Jesus Christ in the Spirit was known as the first fruits in 1 Corinthians 15. And when he was waved before the Lord as the first fruits of the resurrection, he said the time will come where a harvest will come. And there will be a harvest. A general resurrection all over the world is going to happen. What else is God saying? He also says that there, the, the shoots are shooting through the ground of impossibility of the invisible realm. When you put a seed under the, uh, under the dirt, it disappears. It's invisible. It seems impossible that there's anything there. But suddenly, because of our honoring of the Lord, the shoot comes out of the ground. Wow, there's a green sprig. That's the evidence. And the first fruit upon that plant is the evidence. A harvest is coming. That's the economy of God. That's the genuine economy of God. But the harvest is not just, well, I gave a financial offering during Passover. I gave a financial offering during uh, Shavuot, and therefore I expect a financial offering. That's definitely going to happen because what you sow, you're going to reap. But the harvest of the Lord goes way beyond that. He also is going to bring forth a harvest of the fruit of the Holy Spirit out of your innermost being, out of your new nature. You probably looked at yourself in the mirror for a long time and go, man, I just wish I could change. I want to be different. I want to grow. I want to, I want to be more fruitful in the things of God. I want my personality to change. I, in other words, I want the fruit of the Spirit to shine out of my sanctified personality or my soul. And so what God's saying in the next four months, not only are you going to reap what you've sown in your finances when you honor the Lord in his feast, but you're also going to reap the harvest of divine nature. The divine nature in your life is going to come forth in a season of harvest. It's not the final harvest. This happens year to year to year to year in the economy of God. But to understand that the labor of God that's gone on in your life for the last year is about to be met with an expression, expression of fruitfulness, the expression of love and joy and peace, how many of you need love and joy and peace in your life right now? Well, God is saying, if you have been faithful and you follow me, I'm going to multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. That's a New Testament scripture in the book of Corinthians. He'll multiply your seed sown. So whatever seed you sown, if it's finances, he's going to multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. This is harvest time. I needed to get that in. That's for the assembly of saints who follow the Lord. That's the word of God. That's the truth. Now, another thought before we get into 
the Revelation 14, because I want to talk about the overcomers. I want to talk about the 144,000. I want to talk about the harvest that's coming. And that everything we're going to read in Revelation 14 happens after the Great Tribulation of Revelation chapter 13. If you've been studying along, we've been going chapter by chapter, and we've seen the continuum, the unfolding events in a divine order, and we've seen how things have begun and where they're going and where we are. Well, in the future, beyond the Great Tribulation, Revelation 14 talks about this in verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. First of all, I want to show you something about the word here, having his father's name. Here is the definition of the word name. It's the onama, okay, onama. And the word onama literally means, and let me, let me just give you the whole deal here. The name literally or figuratively, in the Greek definition. I'm reading it. So the onama, literally or figuratively, the word name refers to authority and character. The 144,000 have the Father's authority and character in their foreheads. It talks about, uh, let's see, the word name is used for everything which the name covers, everything, the thought or the feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning, hearing, remembering the name. It's for one's rank, authority, interest, pleasure, command, excellencies, deeds. It's all about the Father's name. Now, the word name literally and figuratively refers to his authority and character. Don't forget that. So I looked and lo, a lamb, but there's only one lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, stood on the Mount Zion with him 144,000. Now, in the Bible, Mount Zion, let me just read this to you, Mount Zion. In the Greek, Zion is Sion. Only twice in the New Testament is Mount Zion mentioned. Mount Zion is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, and it's also here in Revelation 14. The word Zion in definition means a parched place, and I'll show you why in just a moment. It also talks about brightness, but it means in the definition has Hebrew origin, the church, militant triumphant. Mount Sion refers to, figuratively, in the definition, the church, militant, triumphant. Remember those who got their victory over the beast in Revelation 15? That's the church. Militant, triumphant. Militant in the sense of overcoming the war against their lives. Triumphant, they didn't take the mark of the beast. They got the victory in their military battle against the powers of darkness. Okay, so let's go back to Revelation 14.1. I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion 
with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. You should do a study from Genesis all the way to Revelation on Mount Zion. You'll see that God chose Judah to be Mount Zion, that Mount Zion is the place of God's dwelling. Mount Zion, there's so much information about Mount Zion. It is the governmental power of God. Now, I believe these 144,000 had what? Having his father's name, the lamb's father, Jesus' father's name, his authority and character written in their foreheads. I heard a voice, Revelation 14, 2, from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. No man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Who are these 144,000? Who are these overcomers who get the victory? Who are they? Well, verse 4. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, by the way. The harpers harping with their harps. Harps are the most peaceful serenity. It's such a healing sound with the harp. Oh, my gosh. Such symbolic meaning that those who had gone through the vicious battle are now harping with their harps, singing a new song of overcoming victory. Praise God. That's going to happen. Now, who are they, the 144,000 that were redeemed from the earth? These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. What does that mean? Not defiled with the things of the world. They were not defiled with spiritual adultery, which in the commentary, it talks exactly like that in the language. It literally says that this literally, you know, and figuratively is referring to spiritual adultery. You know, it's communing with the Hananiah prophets. It's communing with false doctrine. It's communing with demons. We sit at the cup of the Lord and we drink the cup of demons. He said, you can't do this. But this is spiritual adultery, spiritual harlotry. But these 144,000 don't do that. They are virgins. Who are they? Wise virgins. We know that there are 10 virgins. This has nothing to do, oh, I'm married, therefore I can't be one of these virgins. No. The marriage bed is undefiled. There's no defilement in sexual intercourse, physically, in marriage. The marriage bed is undefiled. That does not disqualify you from being one of the 144,000. What would disqualify you is committing spiritual adultery fornicating with the world, the flesh, the devils. These 144,000 did not do that. And it says that they are virgins. They were not defiled. You're not defiled with spiritual adultery. They are, these are they which follow the lamb wherever he goes. So let me ask you a question. Are you cleaned up? By the blood of the Lamb, are your sins forgiven? Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? All right, can you not commit spiritual adultery with the world? Is it possible? Is it possible for a true believer to no longer commit spiritual harlotry and adultery, fornication with the world, pagan world society? The answer is yes. Can you be a wise virgin by gathering your oil, the anointing, walking with God, being spiritually prepared to have oil in your lamp for the midnight season that's coming? 
No reason why you can't do that. You can do it. Can you follow the lamb wherever he goes? You can do it. Is there a reason why you're not allowed to follow the lamb wherever he goes? No, it sounds like a choice. It sounds like people that are going after the Lord. It sounds like these 144,000, these victorious overcoming that have the authority and the character of God in them. That's the mind of Christ. Paul the Apostle said we all have access to the mind of Christ. Is there a reason why we don't? Are you disqualified because you're not naturally Jewish? Is that what this is saying? Oh, this is only for the natural Jew? No, it's not true. Watch this. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men. Is there a reason why you can't be redeemed from among men? Being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb in our generation. Remember, he is seeing this after the great tribulation. You can't look back in history on this. This is what appears after the great tribulation. He sees these overcomers standing on the mountain with the authority and character of God, and it shows their conduct. Their lifestyle, not their external breed of humanity. It shows their conduct. They were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Why? In that generation, in that final generation, in the generation that we're living in, it's because of their conduct. And it says this is huge in verse 5. And in their mouth was found no guile. Is it possible for you and I to have no guile in our mouth, which means deceit or trickery or a decoy? Are we speaking one thing, but in our heart are another thing? Is it possible that what you speak is reality? Well, the word guile means decoy. And that's what people do. They speak words as a decoy to the reality of what really is going on in the heart. These don't do that. These speak the genuineness of their heart. No deceit, no trickery. They're not coy. They're not crafty. These are all the definitions of guile. Okay? In their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Can you be without fault before the throne of God? Let me assure you that you can. As a matter of fact, I want to go back to Jude. And if you look at the book right before the Bible, uh, before Revelation, Jude says it this way. And I'm just going to pick it up at the very last verses in Jude verse 22. It says, have com- uh, and on some have compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Listen to verse 24. This is Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling into apostasy and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Wow, what does that mean? That means he's able to keep you and I faultless. Praise God. So when you get to this Revelation 14 again, is there any reason why you cannot be one of these overcomers? Is there a restriction? Well, you're not Jewish, naturally. Is that a restriction? No. Remember. 
the 144,000 were the 12 tribes of, the, of Israel, 12,000 from every tribe. But in Romans, it says that you were grafted into the Israel of God. You've been assimilated into the tribes. Paul said he was not a Jew who was one outwardly, but who was one inwardly, and whose circumcision is not in the flesh, but after the spirit. Paul said that in Christ Jesus, there was neither Jew or Gentile, but there's one new man in the earth. So could you be one of these overcomers if you went after it to live the way that these overcomers live? Why not? Would you dare go for it? Would you become one that is a virgin? In other words, you do not commit spiritual adultery with the world, flesh, or devils. Will you follow the lamb wherever his word leads you, wherever spirit leads you and guides you? Will you do what he says to do, whatever it is? Will you allow yourself to have no interaction with the pagan world system? The pagan world system, come out of her, my people. Be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Can you live that way? No guile, no trickery, no deceit. You're not putting decoys out there. You're not using craft and cunning to get people to think something that's really not true. Can you do it? Can we do it? By the Holy Spirit, by the power of God? We just read in Jude, now to him who was able to present you faultless before the throne of God and his presence Verse 6, I want to move on. Now, notice this is all happening after the Great Tribulation. You have the overcomers, and then you have in in verse 6, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. You know what that's amazing to me? That after the Tribulation, the gospel is going to be preached to the people left on the earth. Because we know what happens immediately after the tribulation, according to the, the words of Jesus, immediately after the greatest tribulation that ever hit the face of the earth, the dead are going to rise at the coming of the Lord. Those alive and remaining are going to be caught up to meet the Lord. So there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a, uh, a catching up, a harpazo of the alive and remaining ones to meet the Lord in the air and be with the Lord. But That happens, and I'm going to show you that harvest in just a moment, but it's interesting, while that happens, the gospel is going to be preached. The gospel is going to be preached, and what is is the gospel? Verse 7, Revelation 14, 7. It's going to preach to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So now the great tribulation has taken, which is the wrath of the dragon, Revelation 12, 17. But now the great tribulation's over. The word of God is going to be proclaimed. It's going to be preached to all the nations of the earth. Fear God. And then God's wrath is about to be unleashed. A warning of the time of now God's judgment, which we see in full display in Revelation 16. Now, verse 8, there followed another angel. So you have an angel proclaiming the gospel, telling the nations to repent, to fear God. His time of judgment is coming. You've just been through the wrath of the dragon, but you've been worshiping the dragon. Here it comes, this gospel. 
Now in verse 8, there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. During the great tribulation that's coming, we haven't gotten there yet, it's on the way, the beginning of sorrows is here. During the great tribulation, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, and mystery Babylon are at their zenith, they're at their heightened sense, and it's during that time that they are going to do everything that they, they do. Verse 8 says, the angel was now making a declaration. This is after the tribulation. Now the judgment's going to hit Babylon. Now the judgment's going to hit the beast kingdom. Now the judgment's going to hit the dragon. Now the judgment's going to hit the false prophet. Now the judgment's going to hit the nations of the earth that followed them and worshiped them and took their mark. Now is coming the judgment. That's all it's saying. Verse 9 of Revelation 14, the third angel. Now you and I want to hope that we're part of something, but let's read verse 9. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, the wine of the wrath of God is in Revelation 16, which is poured out without mixture. It's no softening blow. It's not mixed with mercy. The, the wine of God's wrath that's going to be poured out on this earth is not going to be mixed with mercy. It is going to be full-blown wrath of God. We know that in Revelation 16. That's why there's not a part realm being dealt with. It's a full manifestation of God's divine power against all evil. Then it says, he shall be tormented. Whoever takes the mark of the beast shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. So don't mock fire and brimstone preachers, okay? He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment, whoever receives the mark, ascends up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That is a reminder, in my understanding of how the scripture is written, to those of us living right now, don't take the mark of the beast. There's going to be judgment for that. You may be spared the dragon's wrath by taking the mark of the beast, but you are going to experience the wrath of God in eternal torment so this is an admonition to the saints of God living on the earth while this is coming to get ready not to take it. Don't you take it. That's what it says. Here's the patience of the saints. Don't do what you can to save your life. Don't do what you can to escape the wrath of the dragon. Fear God. Now, verse 13. And this is where um, it, it, there's going to be a shift. 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, having faith in God from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So praise God for the faithful who are willing to die for the cause of Christ that will not receive the mark of the beast. Now comes the harvest. You ready for this? Here is what Matthew 24 was saying. 
Immediately after the tribulation, the Lord will come in a cloud. He'll send his angels. There'll be the sound of a trumpet, the shout of an archangel. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 4 was saying about the dead in Christ shall rise because the Lord comes in a cloud. The trumpet sounds. The dead in Christ will rise. We were alive in a room. Many will be caught up to meet the Lord. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 says. This is all scripture concerning the coming of the Lord immediately after the great tribulation. Here it is. This is what it's called. When you send angels to gather together the elect, that's called the reaping angels. They're going to reap the harvest of the wheat, which is a representation of the character of the saints of God who have died in Christ and who are alive and remaining. Here's what it looks like. Revelation 14, 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud. And there's that cloud again. And upon the cloud, one sat like the son of man. Jesus comes in the cloud, in the clouds. But he sees a cloud now, a cloud of witnesses, a cloud of glory. It's a cloud. And one sat like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, that, a sharp sickle is a harvesting tool. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice. There's the shout of the archangel, the loud voice of an angel. To him that sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So immediately after the tribulation, when the Lord comes in the cloud, he has angels that he's going to send forth. There's a sickle in his hand. There's a reaping of the harvest of the earth. This is the resurrection of the dead. And what they call the rapture, it's not a preacher rapture, it is a harpazo, it's a catching away or a catching up of those alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord. He doesn't touch earth, he's in the cloud, we go to him. That's the harvest, the first harvest after the great tribulation. There's another harvest. It says, in, and again, in verse 16, <clears throat> He that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. That's the righteous being reaped from the earth, the elect of God. Verse 17, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, thrust in your sharp sickle, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. These are the remaining inhabitants of the earth who have blasphemed, taken the mark of the beast, rejected God. And, the, and it says in verse 19, the angel thrust in his sickle and into the earth, gathered the vine of the earth, cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse bridles, by the space of 1,600 furlongs. What is this saying? This is what you do with grapes. You bring them into the trough and you crush them and the juice comes out. This is the second harvest. This is what's going to happen after the great tribulation, which is the wrath of the dragon. The Lord is going to return. He is going to reap the earth through the resurrection of the righteous and the remaining ones that are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, he's sending his angels to gather together his elect. That's the first harvest. The second harvest is what will follow. We're gone now. The righteous are gone. We're with the Lord. We're in heaven with him. But on earth, there's now a gathering of the nations into the winepress of the wrath of God. That is Revelation chapter 16. 
But you'll notice right after this, it goes into chapter 15, and we already read it, but let's look at it again briefly, because chapter 15 is another pause. There's no real prophecy here. It's just a pause. It's a foretelling of what shall be. And it's only got a few verses, eight verses, so let's look at it. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. So that's what's coming. I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image, over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. These are the songs of the overcomers. Now, verse 4. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, and for, for your judgments are made manifest. So that's, that's a song they're singing of the future. And after that, verse 5, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Wow, what a scene. The seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles. One of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. And remember, this is not, has no mixture in it. There's no mercy here. Who lives forever and ever. Verse 8, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And then we go into Revelation 16. But do you see it? Is this unfolding? We are before the great tribulation. In other words, it's before us. We're going to meet it. It's coming. That's where we are in real time. We are in the beginning of sorrows, our generation. We are in the beginning of sorrows. It has begun, and there's no turning back. Events are unfolding. We're moving, and at a particular time, there's going to be an event that's going to release the worst of the greatest tribulation that this world has ever known against God and against Christ. And that's what we're, we're here. This is what we will face. Multitudes are going to fall away in the love of many wax cold, et cetera, et cetera. But there are overcomers. The general assembly of the church in Revelation 7, they're going into the great tribulation. The 144,000, the overcomers are not. They have the seal. They have authority and character. They're going to walk through this period of time. They're not going to be touched by the great tribulation. They're sealed. But the general majority, the untold multitude that don't make a number, they're going in. And they're going to be washed. They're going to wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb during the great tribulation. Immediately after the tribulation, the harvest is coming. Christ is going to reap the righteous. That's going to happen through the angels, through his sickle. And then we see... This now, the wrath of God upon the nations of the earth, upon mystery Babylon is coming, the beast, the dragon, the false prophet, all the nations that have been in worship to them, they are now on this earth. And now comes the seven angels having the unmixed wrath of God, and they are going to pour it out on this earth. We will not be here for that. The gospel is being preached to them. Repent, fear God. 
somebody is going to be around during this time. Very interesting what you'll read in Revelation chapter 16. So I'm going to stop right there. And um, that's, that's my take on it. As my brother Mark will say, um, that's my story. I'm going to stick with it. All right. So let me say good morning to a few friends on the chat room today. Uh, I see Kevin Hauger saying good morning, Brenda Torville. Good morning, Pastor Vince. Good morning, Brenda. Samuel Grimes. Morning, everybody. Hello, Vinny Potts and fans. Hello, Samuel Grimes. Um, we have Brenda is with, Wynn is with us. Brenda Palmer Wynn. Good morning, Pastor. Good morning to you. Janet Ruth Ryder. It's a beautiful morning. I agree. Sarah Anchorman. Good morning. Laquita. Good morning. Cindy Messman. Good morning, Pastor Vincent Xavier. Thank you to all my sisters and brothers out there saying good morning. Diana Bloss says, good morning, Pastor. Thank you for this word. God bless you. You're welcome, Diana. And then Cindy Messman, amen. All right, Kathy Bruns, good morning. Have safe traveling to all those coming to South Dakota tomorrow. Yes, we're going to be leaving tomorrow. The angel of the Lord encampment around all those that fear the Lord. See you all soon. Ken and Kathy, thank you for the blessing. Uh, Carla Dillon saying, amen. Amen to you, Carla. Denny Sossaman, good morning, Pastor, and all of you overcomers. Amen to that. Heart failure Bible scholar. All right. Let's, uh, I know that's my brother Mark there. Praise God and pass the ammunition. Uh, and now Barb, uh, Bobber Massey. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, Bobber, thank you. Cindy, LOL. I like the way you put that. Lemon and pickles. Okay, that's going back to something earlier. Vanessa's with us today. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen to you, Vanessa. Uh, Brenda Torville, great teaching. Thank you. Laquita, yes. Harvest time. Chuck Eastridge, amen. Vanessa, I'm like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from God. Amen and amen. So there, praise the Lord. Pass the ammunition. We've got some calls coming in. Area code 818-369-0326. Maybe you have a thought about what you just heard. Uh, We've talked a lot for the last hour and 25 minutes. It's time for you to share. I've got a call coming in from area code 479-871. Let's go ahead and take that call and say good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Hello, area code 479-871. Are you there? All right. Sounds like somebody's driving out there. Uh, We'll hold that back. So, again, if you have anything you'd like to share, uh, again, we are leaving tomorrow. We're not going to be on the air. So when we get back Tuesday, we'll pick up Revelation 16, 17, 18, and 19. My God, it gets richer and richer. But right now, if we're to wrap this up, as we're getting ready to head north, I read to you out of Jeremiah chapter 28. I've warned you about the Hananiah prophets of our age. And what you do with that warning is entirely up to you. I believe the admonition is get ready for what's coming. The book of Revelation is in motion. And because it's in motion, there's no turning back. Get, and this is just it. And be encouraged. And work out your salvation. And don't do it under religious obligation. Do it because you love God. These are the most exciting times on the face of this earth. These are the most exciting times. Don't be afraid to speak up and speak out and tell the truth in love. These are the most exciting times on planet Earth for the people of God. I know what I want, and I hope you want it. What do I want? I want his authority, and I want his character in my life. I want to live my life in a manner that that will be afforded. I want and desire to be an overcomer. 
The book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is all about message to the overcomers. You and I in this final generation, we must be the overcomers that God has called us to be. I don't want to flirt with the world. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be compromised. I want one foot in, one foot out. I just want to serve God in my generation. I want to be known by God in my generation. I want my name to be known in heaven. How about you? I want to be that man of God. You want to be that woman of God, that man of God. You want to be the overcomer. You want, when they mention your name in heaven, for the angels to smile. You want to be one of those rigidly righteous, uncompromisingly righteous ones in the earth. You want to be one of those that bring pleasure and joy to your papa's heart. Don't be afraid. Don't be offended. Whatever you do, don't receive an offense. Remember, when you get offended, you get poisoned. Don't do it. Fight against that. Resist it. If there's something in your life that causes you to be offended easily, deal with it. I certainly am. Oh, man, watching out. I want my soul clean. I know you want the same thing. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. God bless everybody. And remember, please, keep us in prayers. We're going to River of Fire Ministries with Pastor David and Victoria Obenauer. They have opened up some doors of opportunity to minister the gospel. And we are leaving tomorrow. And we'll be driving so we get there Thursday night. It's about a 10-hour drive. Some people will be going with us. Others are leaving Friday. I don't know where you are in the United States, but I hope you would find your way to South Dakota. Come be a part of what this conference will be. And that's what we're doing. And I'm going to take Keith Carey's advice. I will not be on the air tomorrow. I will not be on the air Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. We will be in conference beginning Friday night at 7 o'clock in South Dakota until Sunday evening. And then Monday, most likely, we will be coming home unless God says, nope, I'm opening a door in Minnesota. I'm opening a door in another part of the country. I want you to go. And if he wants us to go, we will go. We will do whatever God wants. Our lives, we truly desire to serve his purpose. And we believe where we're going is part of God's eternal purpose. And that's where we want to make a positive impact in the ministry and the people of God up in South Dakota in that area. I'm looking forward to seeing them. It's not about man. It's not about anything. It's just our gathering together and having something to impart that will be an encouragement to God's people in the days in which we live. So thank you for your prayers. God bless. We'll see you Tuesday. Probably River of Fire Ministries, by the way, uh, R-O-F-M, River of Fire Ministries, R-O-F-M. You can find them online. They will probably be videoing on Facebook, YouTube, and other areas. So maybe you could join the conference that way as well. I, I don't know 100%, but I'm pretty sure. God bless, saints. Have a wonderful day. Shalom.